let's um, let's pray. Father, thank you again for bringing your people together uh, to love one another, to encourage one another, to lift you up high, Jesus, to set you on the throne and to worship you in spirit. Father, as we continue uh, to explore this awakened life, God, I just I just pray that you meet us here today, that you um, take that emptiness that maybe we've had and fill it with your goodness this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, a couple things just to let you know before we get started. Um, uh, I apologize I didn't get this out sooner. The uh, plans happened quickly and then I misunderstood the text. <laughs> All that to say, for, for the men in the room, on Tuesday night, we want to let you know, watch your emails because you're going to get more details about this when I get home today and can send it out. But on Tuesday night, we're going to have a gathering at Graham Bertram's Barn. If you've been blessed by that in the past, you know it's a fun place to go and just get connected uh, to each other as men. Um, uh, we had our legacy lunch last uh, Thursday where we get together as men and have someone come and, and share and have a conversation about how to be God's man in today's world. Uh, the guy that, uh, that joined us there on Thursday is going to come uh, this next Tuesday and share again, lead some conversation. His name is Phil Dillingham. He is uh, by trade, so to speak, a pastor in Antioch. Um, but uh, his calling, one of his callings, is that he uh, invests in the lives of men, uh, including the one who's speaking to you here. I, uh, I mean this when I say, as Paul said to Philemon, I owe this man my life. Um, he's an incredible guy, and uh, so he's going to be our uh, featured speaker, so to speak, although it'll be more conversational. So that's 6.30. Watch for the details. Uh, it Just bring some snacks and a drink. Uh, Mark and I said it might be good. Just whatever you have left over for tonight's Super Bowl party, you can bring to Graham's. The other thing is quick. I just want to share. Um, Will alluded to this, uh, but I want to share just a praise report from this morning. When I, when I came here, uh, we had probably 50 to 75 packets left over. Um, I was committed to finding a way uh, to, uh, to, to have those prayed over. They would have been prayed over one way or another. But I texted my friend Marty Curley, who is essentially the Gary of Generations Church, uh, one block away from us. And I said, would you happen to have a use for any of these packets, you know, about the awakened? He said, we'll take them all. So I went down this morning before church. And the other thing that's cool about this, we talked about how God will, will do um, unexpected things in, in this effort. The uh, pastor's wife there is a, can we say it this way, a recovering Church of Christer. <laughs> and it was healing to her for us to partner with them in praying for these names. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So um, initially I signed up for 150 packets and something inside me said that's not enough. And so I asked for 350 packets. So between our two churches, I can't do 350 times 15. Some of you already know because you're smarter than I am. But those many names are going to be taken care of by two churches right here in downtown Franklin. I praise God for that already. He's doing some good work. A uh, quick review of what we talked about last week. The big picture. We're not just talking about prayer. We're talking about an awakened life. What is the life that God has called all of us to? All of us are on this planet. Genesis chapter 1. All of us are on this planet to help God, not that he needs help, to join with God, because he invites us to, in recreating the world. That sounds huge, but that's exactly what's going on. God says to human beings in Genesis 1, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. And that's right after the story of God taking empty places in creation and filling them up. 
Or the other metaphor we looked at last week, God takes the chaos of the world and brings order to it. That's what we get invited to do in whatever giftedness that you have. We'll talk more about that today. And we saw in Genesis 1 that God uses words to bring that about. Not only that, but God created with words, and then he invites us to share words in prayer and help recreate the world. So when we're praying over these packets and those 15 names that you have, you are stepping into the very work of God that created the world and that is redeeming it. And that's what we get a chance to do. Uh, Melinda, do you have any thoughts? or is there Yeah, just as, ooh, as a reminder, um, just a couple of things that we talked about was, you know, the need for us to get with the Lord every day. And if you can do it in the morning, that's a really good time because you wake up and you're empty, right? And so sitting with the Lord, let him take that empty space and fill it. Let him have it so he can do something with it. Also, that image of the broom, you remember the two angels, the broom that sweeps out the junk. You know, if we're used to putting the junk in our head and our heart, he says, no, get that broom and sweep all that stuff out. Let's start over so that the glory of God can come. Uh, we also talked about praying the word, how important that is. We need to know the word um, so we can know the will of God. So for today, as we get started, I, I want you to think for a moment about the idea of a habit or routine. Think about something that you do on a regular basis. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, routine actually gets a bad rap. We will even use language like this. Oh, it's become routine as if that's a negative thing. Uh, and I want to think about that in terms of our prayer and think about this. Routine or practice is not a bad thing. We can make it negative if we make it rote. And here's what I've learned. Mentors in my life have put this again time, time and time again in my life. Here's the thing. Routine and habit makes the unexpected or the surprising possible. Does that make sense? Like, I can't script the moments that are going to be beautiful or wonderful. I can't script the mornings where my prayer time is going to be exhilarating or whether it's going to feel like just another thing. But if I'm not doing it every day, I will not be there when God does the unexpected thing. Does that make sense? Um, one of my dearest mentors, he's already gone on to be with Jesus, but he talked about years ago a practice and a habit he had of reading with his children. I confess I did that really well when they were younger, not so well now we pray some and read some together as a family. But this is what he said. He said, if you read to your children when they are younger, they will read back to you when they get older. And I think that's beautiful. And that's what they would do as they, his children grew up. Then he would have them read more and more. And they shared that time together. And I can tell you some of the most exhilarating times of my life as a parent were nights when I was sitting down to read with our kids. And here's the thing. The only reason that happened is because we did it more than once. Does that make sense? So we want to think about the routine and the habit of, uh, of our prayer life and our connection with God. Uh, Dean had asked maybe if I'd share maybe my routine. And I know some of you have heard this because I shared some of it in a communion. But um, I have my routine every single day. I get up, I go to the coffee pot, and I pour a coffee at the size of my head, and then I go to my prayer chair. I sit in the same chair every morning, and it's important to me to do that. It just feels like that's my space with God. And so I sit there, and I um, either turn on some worship music or I start praying. But I have a notebook, 
and uh, you can call it a journal if you want to. I call it taking notes. I've never been a real journaler, but I can take notes when I sense God is speaking to me. So I have that time to do that, and I just let God fill my mind with images, to fill it with thoughts, and then we just start dialoguing about it. You know, we just start talking about it, and then, uh, you know, after I kind of get into the spirit um, to pray, then I let him just take me wherever he wants me to go that day. And some days, like you said, that routine, it's some days it's the same place. But other days, it's a little different than the one before. So, you know, like you said, it's, it's being there. It's being there every single day and just see where he takes you. And again, obviously, what we're trying to do here... Oh, by the way, the other thing I learned just a couple days ago... Uh, we've been saying almost 300 churches. It is now over 350 churches that are, are joining in this effort to pray for these names. So think about this. Over 350 churches in our city, all we're in, invited to do here is to make a habit and a routine for these 30 days to pray over these 15 names. Um, and I want to think about what, for me, what inspires me are moments and stories of other people's experience. And that's what we're going to look at. Today, if you have your Bibles or your phones or your tablets, wherever you read your Bible from, in Acts chapter 3 is one of my favorite stories in the life of the early church. Acts 2 gets a lot of the press because that's Pentecost. Um, this, this day ends up with just a thousand people less than we're on Pentecost coming to Christ. So it's a pretty important day. But notice how it began. Acts chapter 3, starting verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. And the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God... They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we'd made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And he goes on to tell the gospel story. I want you to flip over and see the end of this is in chapter 4, verse 4. After they testified to the work of Jesus and the resurrection, it says, Many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about five thousand, almost doubling the size of the early church. So picture this, this is the, at least as far as we know so far, this is the second big, biggest evangelistic day 
in the history of the early church. At least 2,000 more people, it says men, probably women and children in there, so more people follow Jesus. But what blows me away is think about the calendar for the day. If you saw Peter and John's calendar, would it have said big evangelistic event? It was not an evangelistic outreach that reached those people. What was on the planner for that day? Why did all of this happen? This is huge to me. All of this happened because it was 3 o'clock on a typical day. And what happened for a Jewish person at 3 o'clock on a typical day? It was time to go pray. It was part of what we now call the daily office or fixed hour prayer. As far as we know, one of the longest standing spiritual disciplines in history is the rhythm of fixed hour prayer. That in the morning, in the noon, in the evening, and at night before we go to bed, or sometimes, and the psalmist says seven times a day, I will praise you or pray to you throughout the day. And it's still true today. You go to Israel, it is still true today that at certain times of the day, they will all stop and pray. And it was because that happened, then the rest of what we see in this chapter happens. So there's a couple of things I want to point out. One is the rhythm of regular prayer, the rhythm of a, of a routine, so to speak, spiritual discipline. And again, on a day that ends up being anything but routine. But the other thing that I notice here is in the midst of our routine, practicing presence. In other words, being aware of what is going on. If we believe God actually shows up in our work, then maybe we can pray for God to open our eyes to what he's doing on any given moment. So picture this. I don't know if you noticed the irony of what was going on that night. And I picture this, man. It, it, this text comes alive to me if you imagine what we did just an hour or so ago. You drove in. You parked in the parking lot. You grabbed your coffee. And we walked in. That's what they're all doing. Understand where they were. They were at the temple gate. And did you notice the, the name of the gate? Beautiful. I think there's a reason for that. I think there's an intention behind when you come to worship God, what God is intending to do is let us experience and then share in the beauty and the wonder of God in the world. Right? So you get that. They're coming to temple. They're coming to worship. They're coming in, in the gate of beautiful. And what is sitting there, ironically, in the middle of all of that, is a life that is anything but beautiful. There is a crippled life. Just for a moment, I wonder how often we're going through the rituals and routines of our lives and we don't feel the tension of what we're doing, praying, worshiping, and what is happening right in front of our face. Does that make sense? Um, there was a time that, that this came home to me very clearly. I read this text side by side with what we had done. We uh, took a mission trip down to Houston, Texas, to an inner city ministry there. And in order to get a feel for what was going on in the city, one of the ministers took it, just took us through the neighborhood that they were serving. I will never forget the names of the streets in the projects where we went. It's the second biggest pro housing project, government housing project in the country. So you can imagine the poverty that is there. The names of the streets were Abundance Lane, Pleasure Avenue, something else, like, just something like that. And then we drove by the, the high school, and it was the home of the Soaring Eagle. Every name was Beautiful Gate. Do you hear me? Every name was all this great stuff. And we were in the second biggest housing project, one of the poor, most poor places in all of the country. And we saw all these signs in the yards of the people's houses. What it turned out, they didn't realize, but they built these housing projects 
on top of toxic waste. And there were families that were still living there. I wonder if God wants us, when we're praying for these names, I'll tell you, I'm already, I can just run through the names and do what I'm, I wonder if God wants us to stop for a little bit and feel the tension of coming in and worshiping the God of resurrection and life in the middle of a city where there was so much death and pain and hurt. Does that make sense? That's what's going on in this place. They let themselves feel the tension. So what what do you think? Well, this text is so revealing to me, and I like to look at the players involved. And so first you have the cripple. He was crippled from birth. So really his life was a non-starter from the very beginning, if you can think of it that way. He had to have somebody carry him to the temple, and even then he didn't go in. They left him on the steps. To, to beg every day. And the interesting thing about um, this gate, beautiful, I looked, I looked in a commentary to see what it said about it. And um, it said that on the, on the column or something was written in Greek that said no pain or death can enter here. Now, isn't that fitting for a crippled to be at the gate, but he can't go in? You see? So this was his every day. He did this every day. Now, you think about the temple goer. They have their routine. They show up every day at 3 o'clock. They give a little to the less fortunate. And in this case, it happened to be the crippled man, right? Routine. And then Peter and John, here they come. In their routine, they also show up for the 3 o'clock prayer, but with one big difference. They were bearing the name. They were bearing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so sometimes I think in our routine, we can get so caught up in it that we forget that we bear the name, that we quit looking for the extraordinary things. And, um, you know, I was thinking about maybe examples of that, even in this church. And one of those things is, you know, if you were here 20 years ago and you know this was a very different church. I'm looking at Dina and Daryl back there. You were here. We're different, aren't we? <laughs> but this was a very, very different church. And then a small group started a prayer ministry. And they began to pray. And instead of praying, God, this is what we want. We want you to do this, this, and this. It was, God, what do you want to do here? Just what do you want to do? What would it look like if you had free reign in this church? And so slowly things began to change. And, you know, it it didn't happen overnight. That is not something that you pray about one day and suddenly everything's different. You show up and you pray day after day after day. And then you look back and you look, look at who we are now, and I believe that 20 years from now we're going to look a whole lot different than we do today. And it's because of routine. It's because of the prayer. By the way, just drop this into one of the reasons I love the way you said that we bear the name. Um, in, in my teaching, you'll hear me say this again and again and again. I believe when Paul called us the body of Christ, it was more than a metaphor. We are the body of Christ, not because we're anything special, because the Holy Spirit of God has chosen to dwell among us, among us, to mix it up among us. And so nothing is routine anymore, right, if the Holy Spirit is here. Because even if we try to make him boring, he will find a way to break out. Isn't that great? I love that. Thank you. 
Isn't that? It's very creative. I love that. I love that. Thank you for, for bringing that in as well. Second observation I want to give, and then and, um, have Melinda really uh, teach into this for us. Um, I find it a very liberating practice. Okay, so they've got the discipline of prayer. They have the practice of presence in the midst of what they are doing as their spiritual disciplines. But here's, here's a different one. Uh, verse 6, I find one of the most liberating verses in this text. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but it's interesting to me that Peter and John did serve on that day, but they did not give the man what he asked for. Did you notice that? Here's what they say. Here's a guy. What is he asking for? He's, he wants money. And so when we're going across people, you see this all the time. We're going to church even. There'll be people begging or asking for this. They're asking for money. And I love, they don't do what I do often, I'll be honest still, is I'll just kind of look the other way. Because I don't have money or I don't want to give it at that moment or whatever. They don't give the money, but they stop and they say something else. Have you, you've heard this a thousand times, right? But take it in. Verse 6, silver and gold I do not have. We don't have any money. They're poor itinerant preachers, okay? They're fishermen turned itinerant preachers. They don't have any money. But here's the line that I would love for us to get in our souls as we're praying for a city, think about this, that we can't fix. Do you hear that? You can't fix the 15 people you're praying for. Silver and gold I do not have, but hear this. What I do have, I give to you. What I do have, I give to you. They shared what they did have with them. Here's the way I think about this. I like to think of this story side by side with, the, with one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, and it was the gospel writer's favorite story other than the resurrection. Only one miracle in all four gospels that is recorded in all four other than the resurrection. What is it? Feeding the 5,000. And if you remember that story, what, what I like about it, just like this story, this story didn't start out to be a big evangelistic outreach. It started out to be just a prayer meeting. Um, the feeding of the 5,000 did not start out to be a potluck for 5,000 people. It started out to be an intimate dinner with 13. Right? If you go back and read this, Mark chapter 6, Luke 19, I think, or Luke 9. 9. Um, Jesus had just sent his disciples on a mission trip, basically. He brings them back, and he's going to recharge them. Right? And he's going to be with them alone. And then all the crowds come out to Jesus. And Jesus, because he's Jesus, feeds these people and does not send them away. His disciples, I love this in Mark 6, they basically say, after Jesus has been teaching all day, the disciples say, Jesus, would you send them home because they're hungry? My translation, would you send them home because we're hungry, right? <laughs> Get them out of here, right? We were waiting on the, the intimate dinner. And I love this line. Do you know what Jesus said to them? You know what he said? You give them something to eat. What? Now remember the disciples' reaction. You know what they said? We don't have that kind of money. Now, Dean's paraphrase, but I promise you it's in there. We don't have that kind of money. You know what Jesus said? What do you have? And they collected a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and Jesus did his thing. They didn't get it then, but they got it here. Instead of saying, I don't have any money... They say, oh, we don't have that, but what we do have, we'll give you, and we'll see what Jesus does with that. Isn't that extraordinary? Now, here's the thing. You might say they're apostles. No, no, no. They had two things, two things. They had a prayer, and they had a story. You hear me? They had a prayer, 
and they had a story of a man. This is the way I like to put it, my life's mission. Live and tell the story of a man who would not stay dead. He didn't stay dead. And they told him a story, and they prayed a prayer, and 2,000 people came to Christ. And this guy walked. If you're like me, I pray over the city. I look at my kids. I, I struggle with what's going on on the news, my goodness. And I say, what can we do? And if you're like me, I can open up the wallet of my heart and say, I've got nothing for this. And I hear Jesus say, what do you have? We've got a church of prayer warriors that you have trained for a long time. And I'm telling you, folks, we've got the story that people in their souls long to hear. Whatever is dead in your life does not have to stay dead because the tomb is empty. I think those two things might be enough. What do we have? What do you think, Mike? Well, it's easy to excuse our ineffectiveness, right? You know, we're not like everybody else. Look back at the story again. The cripple, he was an outsider. You know, the temple goer, well, I'm not Peter and John. Or maybe here, well, I'm not Albert. So I can't, you know, I can't do that. Peter and John, or Peter could have said, I'm just a fisherman. That's all I have. But it's easy to excuse, but look what uh, the religious leader said later. It's in um, Acts 14, and I'll, I'll just briefly skip some of it. But they said the religious leaders who were mad at him for doing all this crazy stuff and people were believing him, they said they were astonished when they discovered that they were ordinary men who had never had religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. We can all be Peter and John. If we give God our time, he will have the effect on our life that we need. We just got to spend time with him. We have to take that morning with him and spend some time with him. And, and suddenly the routine is no longer routine. It becomes extraordinary. The second point, um, back to here, um, gone to chapter 4, verse 4, and it talked about um, many in the crowd that believed. They, they came to faith. And I want you to notice how it, um, how it phrases that. It said, yet there were many in the crowd who believed the message, bringing the total number of men who believed to 5,000. Believe. That's the message. Believe. There, there was thousands of people that were going to the temple every day who didn't believe. Now, imagine that for a minute. There is a point to going to the temple, but in their routine, they forgot the point. And the point was Jesus. They had missed the point. They missed Jesus, the Messiah. But all of a sudden now, they believed because they believed the message. So do you see what this means? You could be a temple goer all day long. And if you don't believe the message, you're just a temple goer. You can come to church all you want. But you got to believe. you got to believe. Mark 16 says, uh, signs and wonders will accompany those who believe. It doesn't say signs and wonders will accompany the churchgoers. And Peter and John, in that moment, signs and wonders accompanied Peter and John because they took a crippled man by the right hand, and because of their belief in the one who could heal, they raised him to walk. 
And not only that, this is what I think is really fun about it. Not only that, they took him by the hand and they brought him into the temple. When he had been on the steps his whole life, he brought him into the temple, beautiful, where pain and death can't enter. Now, isn't that cool? We don't need to be just temple goers. We got to believe. Um, my, my favorite verse overall in this is verse 10. They show up for a routine <coughs> prayer moment. They're just showing up. Albert's Wednesday night. They're showing up because that's what you do. You pray. And what it says at the end of this experience, they recognize, the people around recognize the man who had been healed as the one who used to sit. I love that. Used to sit begging the temple gate called Beautiful. And listen to this. They were filled with wonder and amazement. Filled with wonder. What starts in a routine moment. The only reason the wonder was able to happen is because they kept doing the routine. How many days did they even probably walk by that guy? How many days did they just go to church? But because they kept practicing the presence of God, the wonder and the amazement happened. To me, the beautiful thing about this is when prayer is real, when worship is real, then it becomes an opportunity to experience the wonder and the staggering amazement of our God. If we give him space, God will do his thing. We can't script the moments when that will happen. Uh, and, and this is kind of what we talked about last week. I want to say it again. We're, we're doing prayer and fasting for 15 people that we don't even know. Why? Because I'm convinced God's going to do something breathtaking here. Hopefully we get a chance to see it. We may not, and God's faithful. We're going to keep worshiping him anyway. But I think we will have the opportunity that is glorious to experience wonder and amazement that we wouldn't have otherwise. I remember um, a, a moment when I was just doing a routine thing for prayer. Uh, we were about to, when we were in Texas, I was doing ministry in Texas, we were about to start a life group. Um, and I was praying over the life group. And I'd, I'd open it up. We had a few people that were going to start, but we were about to meet, hadn't even met yet. And I put my hand on it. I just prayed over it. How many times have you done that? You prayed over something again and again, right? And I prayed, God, if, would you bless this? Would you draw people to whatever? I'm praying. And the phone rang. I feel like this almost never happened. It was awesome. I got a phone call, and it was from a college student I've never heard of, never met before. He was kind of skimming through something and found us. And he said, I kid you not, he said, I'm looking for like a small group study or something like that. Do you happen to know it? I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I do. I think I know something about that. I met this guy. Um, he had not given his life to Christ yet. So we began to just explore Jesus one-on-one -on -one in addition to him coming to our group. I'm gonna, this is a long story. I'm going to make it as short as I can. Got to baptize this guy into Christ. Got to, I remember the day he was dating a girl that was not in Christ. He knew that he really probably needed to end that relationship, was struggling with that. I remember sitting in his truck. We fogged up the window talking about Jesus, testifying to life. And I was just telling him, I just believe God has something better in mind for us. He broke up with that girl. And I still remember the day at small group, he went in to help um, a girl named Joy do the dishes. <laughs> and I got to do their wedding. And I'm just telling you, it's a beautiful, incredible thing. And all that started, look, God would have done it anyway. He didn't need me. But he invited me to be part of the wonder and amazement of his work because he prompted me, I believe, to pray over the small group that night. 
And he's the one that prompted my friend Joe to make that phone call. Isn't that cool? We have the opportunity. I know it'll feel like routine. It's early on. Does it already feel like routine to you? We pull out the prayer card. Melly's like, yeah, I know we got. I'm telling you, we are invited to experience wonder. Wonder with Jesus. Call us to something like that. Yes. Um, the wonder. I, 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 uh, I don't even think I've got the words to really express the joy that I've been feeling lately in the wonder of what God is doing. And, um, but first, do you remember, it's, I think it was last year sometime when um, Reggie Anderson, Dr. Reggie Anderson came. Do you remember he was the guy that sees in the spirit and um, he came and spoke and a lot of you bought his book, I know. And, you know, there was so much feedback from that. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that we want more. We're not satisfied with the everyday stuff. We want more. And so um, Jean Blackwell here, she had read a book. Um, it's called The Veil, and it's written by Blake Healy, and she passed it along to me. And it is a story just like Reggie Anderson's, except times a 1,000, all right? This guy has been seeing in the spirit since he was two, and he thought that was completely normal. He, d he didn't know there was anything different. He, he has seen angels and demons his whole life. And um, <laughs> he, he said that in this book, if you ever want to read it, I'll, I'll, I'd love to pass, pass you my copy. But um, he says the one thing about it that bothers him more than seeing all this crazy stuff that he sees is when he sees God's people in bondage and they don't know who they are and because they don't know who they are because they haven't believed in who they are they stay in bondage he said it's the saddest thing he's ever seen that there are there is this spirit realm that we talked about last week there is there is a battle going on in the spirit and there are people there are christians there are people who supposedly believe who are in bondage, and they stay that way. And so, you know, it, I think the church has a belief problem. Would you agree? I mean, there, there, was, a, there, was, there was a young man who attended here um, um, in his youth, and he, several years ago, he had a dream about, I think it was a dream about Fourth Avenue. He had something. And the dream was that Fourth Avenue is a powder keg ready to explode. Um, he said that the potential here was extraordinary for this community. Just, there's so much here. And um, I know you've heard that a, a year and a half ago or so, there, there was a group here that started praying for you, started praying for you by name. Um, took the directory and split it up and started praying for every person in this church by name, their family, their kids. And things changed. Things have begun to change. And I've heard that from more than one of you. They're like, something's going on here. And um, when you talk about wonder, um, I want to take a minute to tell you some things that are happening here at Fourth Avenue that maybe you don't know. 
Um, and it might shock you, and that's okay. That's okay. Just hang with me for a minute. While in prayer, um, someone had a vision of this building with two beams of light coming up from it. In other words, um, it was a place of refuge for the community, a beacon for the community. There is a child here who during worship saw angels that she couldn't number um, dancing in the worship assembly. There have been multiple visions of oil being poured out. And oil, if you remember, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So multiple visions from different people of oil being poured out. Someone has had a recurring vision that started well over a year ago um, that an army is rising up in Nashville, and I think they saw awaken Nashville. I think that's what they saw, but the, it started well over a year ago, and they kept having it, and they didn't know what it meant exactly, but they just kept having it. Um, there is someone here in this church who has dreams about things before they happen. And then when they happen, it terrifies them. Um, there is the same person had a dream of a hand reaching into the earth and shaking the ground, that it would cause a shaking in the ground. There have been uh, manifestations of evil, trying to intimidate some of our young people. That's happening. Uh, two people had the same dream on the same night with a same image that was frightening. And they did not know about it until they talked later and went, wait a minute, what did you see? And that's what happened. Um, someone had a dream of random letters, letters in the alphabet that spelled nothing. And, but when they woke up, they thought that was so weird. And so they wrote them down and it didn't mean anything and they went on. But somebody put it in a translator and it was a phrase in Hebrew. Okay? Um, another person has heard her name called audibly, just like the story of Samuel. Do you remember that story when Samuel's in the temple and he's asleep and he hears God calling him and he goes to Eli? Yes, Lord, did you call my name? No, wasn't me. Well, this person has heard her name three times audibly with nobody around. She was alone. And there have been dreams of warning. There have been dreams of instruction. There are dreams of blessing, dreams of encouragement. I can go on and on. <laughs> I mean, this is happening here. Did you know that? No. This is happening right here. I believe God is trying to get our attention right now. I think he's looking for somebody to believe. Belief. We believe in Jesus. If you're here it's because you believe in Jesus, I think. You know, we aren't temple goers just for fun. We come because we believe in Jesus. But what if we really believed the message of Jesus, where he can stand and bring somebody up who could walk, that was lame from birth, 
What happens if we believe? Albert, you got something on your mind. It's all right for an old white-haired man to just do something that's unannounced. Is that right? In the sixth chapter of Mark, when they when the twelve fed five thousand, Jesus goes away and prays in the middle of the night in the third watch. There's a storm on the Galilee, and they are scared. The apostles are afraid. And when he then comes to them, did you know what the fifty-second verse of that chapter says? Because they had forgotten the loaves. Is 12 apostles who had witnessed that miracle were terrified. The Bible used the word terrified because they had forgotten the loaves. And so my point is, and this is so wonderful what these two people have done for us the last two weeks. We ought to give them a round of praise. Do that. Do that. Thank God for, for this. But you need to remember the last encounter you really had with Jesus because if you don't, when you encounter some kind of a difficulty, you will be filled with terror and fear. The 12 apostles, they were terrified because the Bible says they had forgotten the loaves. Don't forget the loaves. You know, just to finish up here. Um, no, you didn't. No, no, that was great. That was perfect. Um, you know, last week I told you that God has been working on me about um, speaking victory over my life and speaking life over my life and over this church and I, I pray for you every day and I think that's what Blake Healy was talking about in that book he says you've got to know who you are do you have any idea who you are in Christ you bear the name and I want to believe I do I want to believe I want to know my identity I want to know the power I possess through Christ, and I just want to experience the extraordinary things of faith that I've never had before, and I think it's happening, and it's just, it's a joy to watch. Thank you. I love that, Melinda, before um, we did this, we touched base uh, before we came up here, and, and she said, now I want to tell some things that are going on here, some pretty amazing things. Is that okay? <laughs> And um, not only is it okay, I think it would dishonor God not to celebrate the work of God among his people. So we celebrate that. I just quickly, I want to say this. It hits me. It's, I don't even have to turn the page. Here is the promise on Pentecost. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Not pastors, not shepherds, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. It does not say, and all this ended in Acts chapter 2, or when this book ends. The same Holy Spirit who breathed life upon the people of God then still does today. And so if some of this is not your experience, that's okay. Think about this. I love Dave taught on this last week, and this is what he said. Start simply. Just start simply. Um, God will always invite us to take the next step in prayer. I don't pray like that man yet. I don't pray like you yet. But I, I can do the daily office because I got a thing on my phone that tells me to pray, and I'm going to pray. And I, I'm going to start simply, and I'm going to try to do that consistently. 
There is no, there is no graduate level in the kingdom of God. So the prayer of a child asking for God to do whatever God does is just as mighty and powerful as the visions and prayers that we've given here. It's about Jesus, not about the prayer. So wherever you start, that's okay. All I say is let's not shut down people who have opened themselves up to a bigger experience of God. That's when it becomes wrong. Either I've got to, be, I've got to pray like Albert or I've got to go tell Albert he doesn't need to pray like that. Either one of those is wrong. Can we start right where we are and open ourselves up to the wonders of God? Right? And I thank God. I just say this as, as we finish. Even if you haven't had all these experiences, I bet you've experienced the love of God in your lives. I, I am one of, of person after person of person who can testify to the fruit of y'all's prayer. We've only been here a couple years. And when we were sitting down here for the first time, we felt the presence of the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, you're not that good. We got great shepherd. You're not that great. It is the Spirit of God that you have allowed to flourish in this place. Patrick and our shepherds and our prayer leaders have opened up this place. It's not about us. And so when these mighty things happen in the visions, by the way, God shakes things up. So let's not think this is all, oh, man, y'all are great. No, 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 no. God is great. Christ is the one exalted. And just like they said here, I know you feel the same way. Why do we stand here in amazement as if by the power of our prayer team that God has done all these? No, it is in the name of Jesus who is resurrected that all of this stuff happens, and that's who we give praise to. Teresa, that was short. Yeah, the, um, and the, those, these things I've mentioned, I would, I would call those maybe the, um, in the prophetic giftings. Um, that we don't talk too much about, but there are all kinds of giftings that God is raising up right now in each one of you, and you each, each of you have a gift, and just give it. Just give it to God and let him do it. So let's pray. Father, uh, we just give you this morning. Um, we can't help but be in wonder and awe of who you are, that the message you invite us to believe is one of the extraordinary. It's, it's raising the cripple to walk again. It's to bring them into the beautiful gate where no more pain and death. Father, your message is so much bigger than what we have accepted. And Father, we just, we just want to give ourselves to you this morning. Let you stir that in our spirits today and let you just Water the seed and watch it grow. God, we just, we just want to be like you. We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to believe. We offer this now in Jesus' name. Amen.